Hello and welcome to another episode of Des and Marco. I'm Marco. And I'm Des. Hi Des, how are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. I've recovered from last week, so that's a definite plus. And um, oh my god, so much has happened, especially in the tech world, since last week. But first, beers, because I'm no longer incredibly hungover. So what have you picked? I've gone for something a little bit different. I've again tried to marry my passion for coffee and my passion for beer. Oh, that went well last time. It went terribly well. Actually, it wasn't a bad beer, I remember thinking. But this is okay. a very similar kind of beer. So it's another stout, but it's called the Espresso Martini, and it's an espresso milk stout. It's actually a collaborative effort between a beer company called the Bristol Beer Factory, which is an independent brewery based out of Bristol, and Wogan's Coffee, which I guess is another independent coffee company, but I'm not entirely sure. How about you? Well, actually, that doesn't sound half bad. Looking forward to hear what you think about it. Myself, I've decided to continue celebrating Italy's victory with a Peroni Nastro Azzurro. <laughs> yes, which I find incredibly funny because... In Italy, Peroni and Nastro Azzurro are two different beers, but abroad, it's the same one. I recently found out that they got bought out by, is it Heineken or something? By AB and Bev. And apparently, you know how Italy is so unionized? Yeah. The original breweries are not allowed to brew the beer for AB and Bev. So AB and Bev has bought the name and produces the beer at another brewery that they have in Italy. And the original brewery is now making another beer for the Italian market. Okay, <laughs> that's weird. And I remember when they started to really market it heavily abroad, or I was living in Ireland at the time, they were marketing it as this like cool Italian style beer. And the funny thing is, there is no Italian style beer. Yeah. We don't really have a beer culture. We have a wine culture, but they still want it to show it as like a cool dolce vita kind of beer in italy peroni is what we associate to like construction workers yeah exactly but anyway i got this so it's a it's like a regular blonde but uh it's italian so it's an european champion beer cheers cheers okay marco Let's kick this off as we always do. And let's do a quick catch up of the news. Yes. And we have a space race. Only that this time, unlike the one in the 50s and 60s, it's not between two superpowers trying to prove who has the bigger space program. But it's about billionaires who are trying to prove who has the biggest rocket. <laughs> yeah, so... From superpowers to the super rich. Yeah. Welcome to the 21st century, I would say. I know. Jeff Bezos went to space. After Richard Branson. Who didn't, as you told me last week. He didn't, I agree, but this is up for debate by the super rich, as in they're saying they experienced weightlessness, and Jeff Bezos is saying they didn't go to space. And it's, it's getting a bit pernickety. Yeah. So Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos' space company, they sent the new Shepard rocket with the RSS first step capsule on top of it to space, carrying Jeff Bezos himself, his brother Mark, Wally Funk, who's an 82-year-old woman who's also an aviation legend, and now she is the oldest person in space, and Dutch teenager Oliver Damon, who's now the youngest person ever in space at 18, in a suborbital flight, reminiscent of Alan Shepard's first trip to space. The capsule basically went up, and then went straight down, didn't orbit the Earth or anything. 
if you watched the live stream, I found it pretty funny that they make it very clear that they made it to space and they crossed the Karman line, which is an arbitrary line, a hundred kilometers above sea level, where sort of the International Federation of Aviation has established that space begins. There you go. Interesting fact, Oliver Damon, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's a Dutch boy, he replaced the anonymous bidder. Remember we said someone paid Jeff Bezos $29 million and that money was to go to charity for the seat on the flight? That person pulled out and Oliver took his place. Oh, okay. I didn't understand that, but I thought he was the one who bought or his family bought the thing it wasn't meant for him though i think it might have been the father or something but they pulled out and oliver stepped in wow that's pretty impressive i remember at 18 my dad wouldn't give me his car to drive when i got the (laughs) driver's license and this kid goes to space so wow i'm a little bit jealous and uh wally funk was meant to go to space but never did yeah she was part of the mercury 13 which was a follow-up program to the mercury program which had seven original astronauts. But this was made up of all women who were supposed to go to space, and then the program got cancelled. So she is technically the only person from the Mercury 13 to make it to space. So that was a nice uh, touch by Jeff Bezos to honor her like that. Definitely. We'll try not to get into the debate of the super rich spending their money and going to space rather than maybe paying a living wage to Amazon employees. But uh, it's pretty exciting to see all of a sudden all of these things happening. I know in the grand scheme of things, the amount of fossil fuels they are using is probably negligible at a global scale. I still think it's an incredible waste of resources. Yeah, because this is tourism. Yeah, it's four minutes of tourism. It's four minutes of tourism, but people in the past always criticized NASA for taking up so much money from the federal government. But they also do a lot of research that in turn helps create stuff here on Earth. This doesn't. This does nothing. Having said that, if I were to come across 20 some million dollars, I would definitely try to go to space. When we become super rich, we'll have a completely different opinion. So if you guys want to sponsor our podcast... Please uh, let us know at Des and Marco on Twitter. Moving on, right when we were debating whether the switch with the OLED screen was what we were expecting, or let's say when we were kind of disappointed by the fact that Nintendo didn't present a Switch Pro, so a more powerful version of the Switch, Steam completely took us by surprise. This is in relation to Steam's surprise announcement. It caught everyone off guard that they are creating... Not the first, but probably the first mass market portable gaming PC. It's called the Steam Deck. They announced it. It's basically a computer. It runs hardware similar in architecture to the Xbox Series X or S. And it comes in three different flavors, 64, 256, and 512 gigabytes of storage. They're priced between $399 and $649 and will be released later this year. To put this in perspective, the OLED Switch, which is going to be Nintendo's most expensive version of that console, is $350. And for $50 more, you're getting a very similar device. Again, 7-inch screen, touchscreen. You're going to have two thumbsticks on the side, four buttons, shoulder pads, buttons underneath which i think are called like grip buttons or something like that then the unique feature of these is that 
Steam is leveraging its experience with these trackpad technology, which is supposed to emulate the use of a mouse, but you can just use your thumbs. And this comes from their Steam controller. Yeah, which wasn't that successful. It's got a very dedicated fan base. And I have one myself. I bought it for relatively cheap. I really, really liked it. It was great to use, super customizable. Build quality was great. My only issue with it was that it was limited to Steam. If you wanted to play a non-Steam PC game or use your joypad for non-Steam activities, it didn't work very well. And this is where the naysayers were saying it's going to flop because Steam can do software, but it can't do hardware or it's always failed at hardware. This is a proper gaming PC, which is portable. The specs are actually really good. If you were to buy a laptop which was similarly equipped, it would cost you more. Yeah, which makes you question, how do they expect to make money off of it? It seems almost too good to be true. That I don't know. I don't know if they've got economies of scale working on their favor. So the interesting thing is they are very open about the fact that you can do whatever you want with this. You can install Windows on it. And that's a key thing because it doesn't come with Windows out of the box. It comes with the next iteration of Steam's own in-house operating system, which is based off a fork of Linux, and it will be called Steam OS. And they've developed a compatibility layer called Proton, which essentially allows you to run Windows software natively on Linux. It's not emulation. It gets quite complex as to what exactly it is, but it's a compatibility layer. So this is genuinely a portable PC, which has got this portable yeah. format. You can then attach it to a monitor and use it just as you would a PC. You can use your mouse, you can open your folders, you can manage whatever documents you've got. It's a fully fledged PC. Yeah. And out of the box, it runs SteamOS, like you mentioned. It's all basically set up for you to play off of your Steam library. But given how open it is, they mentioned you can install the Epic Game Store, uh, GOG. You can install whatever games you want, essentially. And if you wanted to, you could wipe the software completely, put Windows, and just use it as a PC. There is also the possibility to buy a dock, similar to the one from the Switch, which allows you to connect it to controllers, mouse, keyboards, TVs, and so on. Effectively, yeah, it's a computer with the added value that it has a screen and you can play pretty much your entire Steam library just off of a screen. And the way it does that is by the screen is only up to 720p. It's not HD resolution. That means that the graphics card doesn't have to push that many pixels or that many polygons. So it can keep up even with AAA games. For me, that makes complete sense. And we were speaking about it with regards to the Switch and people wanting a 4K Switch or whatever. When you've got a screen that size, it doesn't make sense to pack it with more pixels because your eye is not going to tell the difference. I think it's a really clever trade-off. In terms of performance, they showcased a heap of games, including Control, and you played it on the PS4, and you commented on how that platform wasn't enough to do the game justice. No, Control's a heavy game. But it seemed to perform flawlessly on this device. And another game they showcased was Hades, which we both know and love very well. And we both had the discussion about which platform did you buy it on. And it was cheaper on Steam. And if you own it on Steam, you own it for life. But we both said we chose to buy it on the Switch because it's the kind of game we wanted to play lying in bed or on the yeah. sofa. And this will let you do that. And I think that's one of the biggest selling points. I'm not so much intrigued about pushing the latest AAA games with the most intensive graphics. I think 
it's a portable device. That's never going to be the home of the most powerful games. But it does let you play all those indie darlings, which have become incredibly popular, wherever you are. Yeah, and they tend to get very cheap sometimes on Steam. Exactly. So maybe that's how Steam hopes to recoup some of its investment. Yeah, I think that while I was kind of tempted by the Switch OLED, this is a must-buy. If I have to choose, I'd choose this one. That seems to be the opinion of a lot of people, because when the pre-orders opened, the Steam crashed completely, to the point that now so many people have ordered it, that now if you want to order one, delivery dates are showing up as like the second half or the second quarter of 2022. So you're going to have to wait almost a year for your Steam Deck. But what about you, Des? Are you planning on getting one? You know this, but yes, I have put in a reservation. Ooh. A quick recap on something which I think other people should really follow as an example is that Valve has gone above and beyond to avoid scalpers. Which are a plague of the gaming world. A plague in general. And one of the cool things that they did was they opened up pre-orders for only $5 or €4 or £4, depending on where you live. And this will go towards the purchase of the device, but it's otherwise fully refundable. If you cancel within 30 days, you'll get the money back. If you cancel after 30 days or you don't follow through with the purchase when the time comes, that will go towards your Steam wallet. Okay, fine. No issues there. Any Steam account which was less than six months old, the pre-order wasn't open to them. So it had to be an old Steam account. Okay. The next thing that they did was they limited it to one per account, which sounds fair enough. Right. They let this go on for four days. So basically... Anybody who really wants one, who is a Steam user, they shouldn't have a problem getting it. And no one has been allowed to buy up all stock to then resell at a higher value. So I presume you can only buy it via Steam. At the moment, yes. So no retailers? No. In terms of the different versions, we talked about the different price points. The only thing which changes between the three is the actual SSD. So the cheapest one will come in with um, 64 gigabyte, which is a very small size. Yeah, of eMMC storage. Instead of the much faster NVMe. So I think the majority of people are going for either the 256 or the 512 gigabyte. And then the top version, the 512 gigabyte, it's apparently got an anti-glare etched screen. If that's your cup of tea, if I do get it, I'm probably going to put a screen protector on it. I thought the 256 was a, a sweet price point. Yeah, it's like the sweet spot. The 64 gig one, I think it's mostly for the sticker price to say 399 you can get a Steam Deck. I believe also most people will go for the ones with more storage. I like to think that if people were looking for a very good performing computer without breaking the bank, that's the one to go for. Because you then can use it like a computer and dock it to whatever you want. You could leave it at your desk, dock to your monitor. It's not an issue. It'll behave like a very competent PC. But with the added option of being able to take it wherever you want. Yeah, and depends what you plan on playing on it. Like you said, if you plan to play indie games that tend to require less hardware-wise and storage-wise, then that might be the one to get. I would probably get the 256 or the 512. Either way, all models have expandable storage via a micro SD card. If the experience on the Switch is anything to go by, the onboard memory of the Switch isn't super big. Most games will uh, run off the SD card, and I've not really noticed a huge drop in performance. No, exactly. Super, super interesting. Came out of nowhere because it wasn't it wasn't leaked or it wasn't pre-announced anywhere on the internet. It just came out of the blue. Wow, it's pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. 
another use case of it, sorry to go back to this, we've spoken quite a lot about how cloud gaming is really evolving. This would be great to install all those cloud gaming services, which are not intensive on the processor. Yeah, that's right. Looking forward to hearing your review from it. When, when, when's the delivery expected? Mine is expected in Q1 of 2022, but it's expected, i.e. if they get a move on and demand is super high, they might release it slightly earlier. I doubt it, but it's an option. Well, fingers crossed. I'm still on the fence. I will see what the reviews say. And if I'm still intrigued in three months' time, maybe I will make the final purchase. Okay, keep us updated. Finally, Microsoft announced Windows 365, which is a fully cloud Windows. So basically, you can access an instance of a remote computer running Windows from any browser. So anything from your computer to your iPhone to Android to whatever. It just works in the browser and inside you have essentially an entire computer running Windows. It can be Windows 10 or Windows 11 and there's different tiers. It's pretty expensive, but it's mostly targeted at the enterprise, especially now that people are working from home and it makes sense for companies to ask their employees to start working from their own devices for the, the large enterprise maintenance costs for Windows are actually pretty significant. So it's not yet quite aimed at the, at the consumer. But I think it gives a good idea of what might be coming in the future. We talked about cloud everything, as in cloud music, cloud gaming, cloud TV, and so on. This is only the next step. And I think we are working towards a future where we just have a screen or a couple of screens in front of us and everything else is hosted elsewhere. The so-called internet of things. As long as you can connect to the internet, you will have all your services available to you. All right. And in the news, there is one more thing I wanted to tell you. And I didn't write it in our shared notes because I, I wanted it to be a surprise. I was walking around the city and I found a billboard. And the billboard is for something we both really love. That's coming back. Okay. From the 15th of March, 2022, here in Amsterdam, the Book of Mormon is going to be on again. Hey. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, the Book of Mormon is a musical. And I hate musicals. but it's about the story of these Mormons that graduate, I don't know, Mormon school, and they end up going to Africa as missionaries. It's written by the guys from South Park, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, and it is hilarious. We've had the privilege to watch it in Broadway and here in Amsterdam. So there's, if in March you want to come over and, and watch it, I think I'm going to go again. If I can come over, it's overdue, I'm going to. And also, we made a pact that if Jamaraquai comes to play, I need to come as well. No, if Jamaraquai goes on concert in either one of our cities, we have to go. Have to, people. It's not like I would like to go. You have to come. But yeah, it is so funny. So if you see it in your city, you have to go. If you're easily offended and you have unshakable religious views, don't go watch it. Yeah. I mean, it's Matt Stone and Trey Parker, so they will offend pretty much everything and everyone. Everyone and everything. If you're not, it's super funny. If you don't like musicals, still give this one a try because it's just super worth it. And I think it was recognized because it has won a heap of awards. Has it? Well, it's been played constantly for maybe close to a decade now. Let's see. Oh, shit. So it won the Tony Award for Best Musical. Best Book of a Musical, Best Original Score, 
Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Best Direction of a Musical, Best Orchestration, Best Scenic Design, Best Lighting Design, Best Sound Design. So yeah, it it won a ton of awards. Like it won a Grammy. There you go. So if it comes to your town, trust us, you need to see this. Talking about things which have won awards, Marco, please enlighten us on your latest purchase, which has also won design awards. It won the Red Dot Design Award and some other design awards. I finally caved and bought myself an electric bicycle. (gasps) Gasp, shock, horror. (laughs) Yeah, it's the Vamof S3. So Van Moof is a... Is that how you pronounce it, by the way? Van Moof, not Van Moof. I always say Van Moof, but I feel like it should be Van Moof. It's Dutch. Like, in Dutch, it would be Van Moof. All right, there you go. But whatever. They make these really good-looking electric bicycles that don't look like electric bicycles, and that's the key aspect. You may have seen electric bikes around, and they have that huge, hideous battery pack at at the back. This one doesn't. It looks like a normal bicycle, but it rides like a spaceship. It's pretty cool. They sort of position themselves as sort of the Tesla or the Apple of cycling in that the products are very neatly designed, very minimalistic. Everything is meant to just work. Meant to sounds like it's the key word. (laughs) Yes, because uh, let me tell you about my experience with it. They have a really nice shop here in Amsterdam, which is actually not very far from my place. But the shop is technically closed or not open for visitors still due to COVID. They only ship it to your place. It comes mostly assembled. You don't need to do much. Basically, you need to connect the front wheel and the pedals. It's really not that difficult. Once you do that, you need to connect it with the app because it works off of an app. And I managed to connect it and then it immediately disconnected. It wouldn't charge. Also, the battery was dead and it wouldn't charge. It comes with a charger and that didn't work. And the interesting thing about it, or let's say one of the safety features it has, is it has a back wheel lock that's completely electronic, meaning you can only unlock it if you have a code or with the app, like if you walk near your bike with your phone, you can unlock it. But because the battery was dead and it wouldn't charge, it was just locked. Oh. So I couldn't use it. So you mounted this bicycle and then you couldn't use it. Yeah, exactly. I put it all together and then it didn't work. You can unlock it without the app, but you need to set up a code first, like a three digit code. But to set up the code, you need to connect it with the app. So it was a little bit of a catch-22. All right. So what do you do? I tried to plug it in in the cellar where I have a plug. I tried carrying it upstairs. And remember, this is an electric city bike. It is super heavy. It's 23 kilos. I carried it upstairs, tried to connect it. Maybe it was something wrong with the plug. Nothing was wrong with the plug. It was something wrong with the bicycle. So then I, I had to set up an appointment with their, what they call the bike doctors. And I had to take it to the shop. The shop is not too far. It's like 800 meters from my place. But remember that the back wheel was locked. (laughs) (laughs) So 800 meters, when you have to carry a 23 kilo bike, it's quite a big distance. Wow. Yeah. I went there. They kept it for three, four days. And then when I picked it up, now everything is working perfectly. Did they tell you what was wrong with it? Not really. They just said what they replaced, and the lady basically said that they replaced almost everything inside. Like, it was completely screwed up. Like, the battery was not working, The I guess the electronics weren't working. I don't know exactly what it was, 
but they replaced almost everything. And then she kind of made a joke like, ha ha, you should be happy. You have basically a new bike. And I was like, yeah, but I had a new bike even before. <laughs> I never used it. <laughs> like, But anyway, and that got me a little bit worried because if you look on Trustpilot, they don't have the best of reputations. There's quite a few cases of bikes that don't work or don't work properly or are always go in and out of uh, maintenance. So I kind of decided to take a, a little bit of a risk there. For now, it didn't go well at the beginning, but then it did. Like since they fixed it, now it's been working absolutely fine. I do think you've got to take those Trustpilot reviews with a pinch of salt. I genuinely believe a lot of them are real. But if, for example, you had a smooth experience and you were happy with it, how often do you leave a positive review? Yeah, I agree. I think you're more inclined to leave a bad review if you have a bad experience than to leave a good review if you have a good one once the bike worked oh my god Des, you're riding the future in a city like amsterdam you were talking about how you don't have a car because you don't need one the city is quite cramped the canals are in the way so the roads in the city center itself obviously are not the best for driving an electric bike just seems to make so much sense and with the range that it claims to have it essentially replaces a commuter vehicle yeah, so they claim to have somewhere between 60 and 150 kilometers range, depending on how you use the bike and which power mode you use. There's four different power modes. So you can go from very barely assist to fully assist. Keep in mind, this is a pedal assist electric bike. So the bike won't actually move unless you're pedaling. Okay. You can't use it like a scooter, let's say, like, like push the accelerator and go. Once you're pedaling, it's effortless. And you're going actually pretty fast because there's also a speedometer on the on the little display. It assists you up to 25 kilometers per hour. And I think that's by European Union law. Above that, I think it's considered a scooter or something else. There's rumors that you can hack it to get the US software. In the US, the law is uh, a little bit more lenient and you can go a little bit faster. It has a 250 watt front motor. So it's technically front wheel drive for, for a bicycle. And that helps you uh, go. It's incredible because it's such a weird feeling. The feeling of pedaling almost with no effort and you're going fast and you're carrying around a, a 23 kilo bike, which is really heavy, actually. I am not a super keen cyclist. I have a bike. I like to use it on the weekends. I might use it to commute short distances. This weekend, I decided to go on a long bike ride, longer than I actually anticipated it to be. I set myself a destination and I went with my other half and we ended up cycling approximately 50 miles, which is 70, 80 kilometers, maybe a bit more. Wow. I was struggling at one point. I, I, this was, it was hard. And then this like 60 year old gentleman just swanned past me, not even breaking a sweat. And guess what bicycle he had, Marco? Let me guess. Is it a van move? It was a van move. Really? That's interesting because the way I see that bike is it's not really for trips or to go out of town. I see it as a city bike, but maybe I'm wrong. This was on a cycle track, so it wasn't particularly strenuous. It wasn't off-roading or anything like that. Maybe a little bit of a dirt track, but it wasn't up and down hills, off-piste, in the mud or anything like that. Yeah, okay. It really made me like biking again. You know that I am, I'm actually, I don't know if the word enthusiast is, is right here, but I'm a I do love to bike. I have a couple of bikes. 
I have a city one and I have a race bike. This is like nothing else. It's like riding a spaceship, like I said before. When you're by yourself, it seems effortless. And you notice it, especially if you're biking with someone else. To give you an example, I biked with my girlfriend to the other side of the city. She was making a tremendous effort and I was struggling to slow down to go at her speed. Wow. I had to like pedal once and then kind of coast for a little bit and then pedal once again and coast for a little bit. I made zero effort. It's incredible. And in a situation like mine, where my office is reopening and my office isn't really nearby, it's like a 10 kilometer ride. Now it makes sense to bike. I used to do that before, but I would be a sweaty mess by the time I got to the office. And so I always had to kind of clean myself. Now I feel like I could go to the office in my shirt, in my office clothes, and just walk straight into the building as if nothing had happened. It's fun, but in a different way, if you get what I mean. To give you an example, I literally just went for a bike ride just now, but I went with my racing bike. And that's fun, because you, you make a you make an effort, you're trying to push yourself to go further, faster. I find that fun. The electric bike is just like a different way of having fun. Let's see how little effort I can make going places. And it's pretty comfortable because the bike being heavy itself is very stable and it's got huge tires, which are a big no-no if you're like a road cyclist because bigger tires mean more drag and more effort. And in this case, it really doesn't matter and they absorb anything that's in the road really, really well. It's super, super comfortable and you're going just as fast as i was in a like in my city bike if not faster one question because right now i have no doubt in believing that the future is electric bikes but if your battery runs out does that evil lock kick in no so there is a second battery that's just for life support if if you want to call it that which is basically just to keep literally just the lights on and the lock working it just the motor doesn't work anymore if the battery dies be prepared to carry around a very heavy bike or at least cycle around in a very heavy bike so you're gonna feel the weight and the width of the tire one other thing that it has that it's really really cool that i forgot to mention it's got an automatic shifter it's got four gears and it shifts by itself and it's really weird because you're just like pedaling and then at one point you go a little bit faster and you feel it shifting but it does that completely on its own automatically. Considering the amount of tech that's in this thing, the automatic shifter, the battery management, the integrated lights, the software, the lock and all that sort of stuff. Everyone talks about how expensive they are because this is a bike which costs between $1,500, $2,500, pounds, euros, whatever. For what you're getting, which is essentially almost a short range vehicle, it doesn't sound that expensive. Yeah, they recently raised the price from 2000 to 2200 euro. And I think it's the same in dollars. It's definitely not cheap. What you're asking, we could argue forever, I think, because on one hand, it's so well made. Everything kind of works when it works. It almost feels like it's worth that money. On one hand, it does feel like you're cheating by pedaling without making any effort. But on the other, I now find it compelling to go to the office by bike. Like on the flip side, I'm biking a lot more and for longer distances, which before I maybe I would choose not to. It's still a city bike, or I consider it a city bike, which means I would really hate it if it got stolen, damaged or anything like my city bike. If something happens to it, 
in a way who cares it was cheap who cares this one this one would hurt they do have a service that if your bike is stolen they will find it they will take two weeks to look for it and find it because it's also got gps and all that stuff and if they don't they give you another one that's in similar conditions but if you ask me whether 2000 plus euro is is worth it I still don't know, because on one hand, it's really fun to ride. It's a spaceship. It's a really cool toy. On the other, does it give me something more than my other bike? But to put things in perspective, some of the expensive road bikes, when they start having carbon fiber frames and this, that, and the other, they get way more expensive, much more expensive than this. And if you buy it with the mindset that you're going to no longer be taking the tube, the metro, the tram, whatever... If you're paying for a monthly public transport subscription, the bike will eventually pay for itself quite quickly. Yeah, if you put it in that perspective, then it totally makes sense. But I'm telling you, it makes sense for me as well, because obviously I live in Amsterdam, so I literally bike everywhere. And now I bike everywhere more easily. Now the bike bikes for you. Exactly. Compared to a bunch of other electric bikes, this is actually fairly cheap. Even compared to the most previous generation, which was like 3,500 euro, this one is way cheaper. So why not? It's the future and the cost of batteries is dropping and dropping and dropping. Yeah, that's true. I was actually speaking to to a guy over the weekend. He was asking me about the bike and like, what, what do you think? And like, is it worth it? And stuff like, and things like that. My recommendation for him or for anyone who lives in Amsterdam or in the Netherlands The good thing about here is that there's a bike path to everywhere and it's flat. So you're not climbing any mountains or doing any hills. So it's fairly easy to bike here. I would say if you need to spend this amount of money on a bike, assuming you've already got like a cheapish uh, city bike, I would much rather spend it on a road bike, like a racing bike, because you're able to do bike tourism. You're able to go far and you're able to visit the Netherlands, which is actually really cool. That would be my recommendation. So I bought this one because I already have like a proper road bike. Lots of food for foot. But in conclusion, it's super awesome. When you come here to watch Book of Mormon, you'll try it. Your mind will be blown. If anyone was interested after my very long bike ride, I died. (laughs) Yeah. Biking is cool. Everybody should bike more and there should be less cars. And as a benefit to cycling... Actually, I'm not sure about the laws here, but I was going to say you can drink and cycle, but maybe you can't. So I'm not going to recommend it. Little comment about that. I would love to do a tour, maybe in the Netherlands, maybe in Scotland, wherever, by bike and go visit little breweries along the way. I think that would be such a cool weekend. They do have a marathon here and like a 10K and a half marathon where you can go to each of the whiskey distilleries. So by the end of it, you're dragging yourself to the end. I think the idea is they just give you a bottle and the distilleries are just a stop. But I think that's against the spirit of the race. I think you should drink the whiskey and continue running because then it becomes a real competition. Yeah, then that's the real challenge. So maybe the equivalent, but with a bicycle. But I think that's something that you can easily plan. There's a trillion breweries here in the Netherlands, and I'm sure you can go visit them. (laughs) And then fall into a canal while cycling. Unwanted side effects. We'll see. I'll, I'll see if I organize it and let you guys know. Seeing as we're talking about breweries and drinking, Marco, how was your beer? (laughs) so it's nothing special it's just your average lager 
I just took it because I wanted something Italian to continue celebrating. The good thing about it is that I put it in the freezer just before the episode, so it was really, really cold. So that made it better. A completely average lager. Let's say three out of six. Not good, not bad. And again, it's easy to find. So if you guys agree or disagree, drop us a message on Twitter or on Instagram or wherever else you can find us, which I think is pretty much any social media platform. And let us know if you agree with Marco's score. What about your coffee stout? I can't remember what my last one was called. I'll need to look it up. But it tastes remarkably similar. My take-home message is that all coffee stouts taste the same. (laughs) Okay. After having tried two, they all taste the same. They all taste the same. They're both good. but they both taste the same. Having said that, I like it. So I'm going to give this the same scores against the other one, which I'm hoping is a four out of a six pack. Wrong. It was a five, but the other one was a coffee porter. It wasn't Ah. a stout, and there is a difference. And hence the lowest score, because everything (laughs) I say makes sense. Yeah, totally. So a solid four out of a six pack. Quite a big episode today. We're interested to see what the new space race between billionaires brings. Steam, completely out of the blue, announced a new console slash portable PC. Microsoft announced a completely cloud version of Windows. And then finally, we went over my experience with the Vamoof S3, which is an electric bike and it's totally awesome. On that note, we shall talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time, guys. Welcome to the 21st century. (gasps) Gasp! Shock! Horror!